All righty. God bless you guys. Can be seated. I know we're kind of doing this backwards, and people are coming in late to chapel wondering where all the music is. We'll do the music second. The reason why we're kind of flipping it up today is because tonight is the Indiana Youth Convention going on in Indianapolis. And so Mrs. H and I will be there tonight speaking there in the main service in Indianapolis and then again in the morning, then flying right back and going to Wilmer, Minnesota on Wilmer. Long live Wilmer right there. I'll tell them that their fan was here today. That's good. Uh, no, we love Wilmer. Love Wilmer. Wilmer loves this school. Um, but uh, then on Sunday, so we'll be back for that. But man, it's just great to see everybody here. Um, great to see everybody here. We got some students on campus today and their parents kind of checking out the school. And uh, amen, they came up. Got the weather all pretty, pretty for them. It's beautiful. I am going to ask you for the third time in the last 60 seconds to stand up one more time. There we go. I want to, before we get into our, our text, um, I do want to welcome back uh, just somebody that's very special to our school and to this place. And I know when a school's been around for 91 years, um, that's a long time, 91 years. Uh, Larry Bach has been here 41 years, and uh, he'll be retiring this year. But we have just another person here. When I found out they're on campus, I just want to acknowledge them and say hi to them. But this guy right over here, Dr. Glenn Menzings, was here 34 years. Tremendous. Dr. Glenn, would you, you won't hate me or shoot me if I say, would you come up here and say hi to the students? Uh, would you just, we just welcome you back. I just want you to say hello. Just stay on your feet, stay on your feet. Dr. Glenn Menzies, right, a legend of NCU. You know, it's funny how uh, comfortable and normal this seems to me. You know, it's been like six years since I've been teaching here, but uh, this school, some of the things have changed, but it's, it's very, very similar. And the students, I've already taught a class and very similar uh, kind of experience. You guys are wonderful people. And uh, you know, I oh, like the Kurtz, the, the missionaries. I remember when, when John was uh, one of my students and I, you'd be amazed how many uh, of the missionaries that come through Minnesota I got to know right here. And, uh, so you guys are all special people. I don't, as far as students, I probably don't know any of you, but I know kind of what you're like. And uh, so I love what you're like. And so anyway, uh, it, it's great to be with you today. Great, beautiful. Thank you, my man. Thank you so much. Just stay on your feet, stay on your feet. Um, we had our first gen chapel here the other day. Uh, how many were in chapel for that? And is... Christian Jackson in the room. Are you in chapel? Okay. Christian, come up here real quick. Come here. Come here. Come here. Well. All right. That chapel went kind of long a little bit. So I had some stuff I was going to say at the end of chapel. I know I saw you in the cafeteria, which is one of the things that's changed in the last six years is the cafeteria. And, uh, but 
Um, I wanted to say something that day based on something you said in that chapel. You know, you're first-gen student, I think. Uh, obviously, you wouldn't have been in the panel if you weren't a first-gen student. But he talked about coming here, and he's not from this galaxy, um, <coughs> meaning that you don't have this embedded network of people that you know. And, and like, how's that going to play out? Because everybody is the result of, like, hey, I, I met you because I know you intermake this introduction. And it reminded me of my freshman year. I was 17, went onto this college campus in Santa Cruz. Didn't know a single human being on that campus when I stood there. I went there to play basketball. I had met the coach, never met any of the players. And then I knew none of the students. And I was, it was foreign to me. I was insecure, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I want you to know, when you said that um, you, know, you came here, don't have the networks, I wanted to tell you something and the whole school something. When you come to North Central, um, uh, my network becomes your network, okay? Now, here's what I mean by that. That day's over, bro. When I heard you talk, and I said, who's this person? And I was so impressed with your communication skills, your life, and I get asked every week across the country about students and potential and talent, and I say this for everybody that's in this room. When you come to a place like North Central, you're not coming here to build a network. You instantly get my network becomes your network. And I'm not saying I know everybody in the world, but I do know a million people. I think I do know a million people. And um, I just want you to know, you've gone to the top of my list as far as, oh, you gotta meet this young man. And so that day, that day of not having that network, that ship has sailed, dude. You got a big, fat network right now. Love you, buddy. Be blessed. Go have a seat. All righty. All righty. You can be seated now. You can be seated now. Psalm chapter 45, verse 1 has a powerful little line. Most people gloss right over this phrase. I think it's a powerful phrase. It's a, I would call it a coping phrase. It's one of the promises or secrets we find in scripture that give us tremendous, a tremendous mental outlook about life. The possibility of a different way to think about the future. Psalms 45 verse 1. It has some very large uh, Hebrew names at the beginning. We're going to go to about halfway through the, song, uh, uh, the, the, the verse, Psalms 45 1. It just says, David writes, my heart is filled or moved with a good theme. My heart's filled with a good theme. When I talk to most people, their heart is not overflowing with a good theme, which means kind of this banner that is this overarching outlook in life. Now, I'm an optimistic person. I've always been optimistic. I don't know why I'm wired that way. I don't know how the dopamine uh, works inside uh, my life. I don't know what I got from my mom on her side. She was a very positive person through a lot of turmoil in life. But I will say this, that when I found the Lord and the Lord found me, uh, and all of that happened when I was uh, 17 years of age, the Lord put a good theme in my heart. And I think what the devil is after in all of us in this room, and especially targeting it on you early, because what the enemy is seeking to do is find a way to wedge in and to nest somewhere in the 
spectrum of your development, theologically, spiritually, emotionally, as you go into adulthood, as you're finding out how strong your burden is for life, as you're developing the muscle of your convictions biblically so that ultimately you can be the only Christian in the room. You know, it, it's coming and it's, it's already here. But you're developing that in that developmental spectrum where you have questions about this and questions about that. The enemy seeks to kind of get into that space of development where something may not be quite as strong as it's going to be one day. And he kind of nests in that space right there and creates some confusion. And part of it is your outlook right now to the world around you and carrying the good theme of the kingdom in your heart. David said, my heart today is filled, it is moved with the good theme. The good theme, we, we, we don't know what it was. It was a song. It was an outlook, I think, that God was with him, for him, fighting his battles for him. And that as long as David trusted in the Lord, the ebbs and flows of any given day would not define his life, but that God was going to fulfill his purposes through them and in them. And so I've been praying for you. I came across this verse again. I've read it 100 times, maybe 500 times. I don't know. It wasn't underlined, though. But it is now that his heart was moved with the good theme. You don't have to live every single day with that negative outlook that no matter what I try to do, this thing's already sabotaged before I begin. That the full potential of what I haven't even yet imagined has already been exhausted. It's kind of a post-future mindset. Like I'm not even to my future, but I'm already... Post future, I'm beyond the mindset, I'm beyond the future. Because no matter what I try to do, no matter what I invest in, this world is going to steal it from me. It's not true. That's not the good theme. That's the enemy's theme for your life. So I just want to encourage you, man, get Psalms 45 1. The Lord has moved me with the good theme. Before we get to Psalm 78, I just want to read one more thing for you. Let me turn off my Pandora here for just a moment. There it is. Um, it's now blaring in my office. Um, I think what is happening in our country, and this is just some stuff from um, late last night. I was coming back to Minneapolis, and I just kind of jotted this down. Um, I think what's happening is we are being educated, friends, highly educated in culture, but we are not being educated in knowledge. We're becoming very adept at interpreting and recognizing culture, but we're not, we're not exposing ourselves and pressing into knowledge. And there's a difference between culture and knowledge. Um, this world is not going to call you up. I just read this week in the LA Times that they're so flooded with D's and F's in the public school system that they're going to abandon grading systems. Now, I know there's pros and cons. There's some debate, educational conversations about this. But I think the motive is not excellence. The motive is survival on behalf of educational systems right now. So what it's going to do, how does that work its way to you? Is that people our age are not going to call you to excellence anymore. We don't even know how to do it. So, so to be successful, you've almost got to become like this Olympic athlete in an individual sport that gets up at four in the morning like a swimmer and like, you haven't taken a day off like in seven years, Michael Phelps? How have you done this? I'm not trying to lay a burden on you. I'm just saying that 
I don't think my generation is going to deliver to you what the previous generation delivered to me. We're going to dumb the whole thing down. We're going to make it uh, really as easy as possible for you to succeed. But at the end of the day, I don't quite think I want my heart surgeon to be a heart surgeon who hasn't been examined and tested. Here's what you're paying for when you come to college. This is different than what I just call like an iPad life, where you just sit on your iPad, watch videos, and call it that it cannot be education alone. Because here's actually what you're paying for. You're paying for this to go beyond an education and culture to discover knowledge, okay, which is different than culture. And you're going to have to find an inner gear. You're going to have to find a switch on the inside that you've got to flip somehow at a very individual basis to go beyond culture and to pursue knowledge and learning, things that are not connected to the transience of just cultural moments. Like what is true um, about this topic or this pursuit? What is the, the point of knowledge in this? You've got to find somewhere inside of you that's bigger than what we are going to jump up and down and call you toward. Now, I'm not talking about North Central's faculty. I'm just talking about in general what I see going on with education. Um, because college is not about information. College is not about information. Being at North Central is not about information. This is all about this. Here's what you're paying for. is for somebody that you trust, somebody that embodies what you want to become, you, you inviting them to examine your life, not simply deliver to you information. When I did my doctorate at Gonzaga University, it was a little expensive and it was a big sacrifice to do this. But the reason I did it is because the people involved in that program were some of the smartest, wisest people in this field in all the world. And I was paying for them to read my papers and then examine my writing, to examine my thinking, to hone my vocabulary, to hone my skills. And I was exposing myself to people who I was welcoming to examine my life. That's what I was paying for. I could sit at home on an iPad, scroll through YouTube, and get a bunch of information. But nobody on YouTube is going to examine my life. That's the difference, friends, between a life of knowledge and a life of culture. I want you to examine my life. And I can't grow unless I get feedback from people who have an expertise, a proven life, somebody that represents where I want to get to in life. And don't put that all on one person. Nobody's going to embody like, oh, you're my mentor. I have probably had five or six equal strategic mentors in my life. I learned how to be a husband from this guy. I learned how to be really a father from this other guy. I learned how to preach and be a leader in the church from this person <coughs> over here. <clears throat> no one person was the sum total of all of those discoveries in my life. Don't put that on anybody. But really, collect around you significant people that represent the future that you want to apprehend. But here's the big, big thing. We are setting up systems of education that will not allow us to really examine your life. And if we examine your life and give you not simply feedback for your life, um, 
but to really, really pour life into you. Um, you've got to welcome it at a level that maybe the system will not create for you. So I just want to encourage you strongly um, to allow this process of examination. We're going to get to Psalm 78 here in a second. Um, so here we go. I told Christian about his network. That go, that's true for everybody. Okay, here we go. Psalm 78, verse 9. Psalm 78, 9 says this. If I can read it, here we go. Hold on. I brought my super little Bible that belonged to my great-grandfather who probably couldn't read it either. Um, <laughs> but it just feels spiritual. I, 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 I admired this one preacher, and he took his Bible out of his pocket, and I thought that was super cool, and I've tried to do it my whole life. Uh, but that, that's kind of failing me now with, with small print. Verse 9. The children of Ephraim, being armed in carrying bows or arrows, turn back in the day of battle. Some translations refer to Ephraim as this um, segment of the tribes of Israel that was positioned and stationed in the land of promise with an obligation to the brotherhood of their neighboring nations and tribes uh, to always stand in the gap in case they were under assault. And this verse tells us this weird insight into Ephraim. Some translations say that Ephraim, they were, though equipped with bows and arrows, yet in the day of battle, their hearts failed them. How is it possible to be Ephraim, this tribe of promise and prowess, given every advantage possible, being trained in how to succeed, yet in the defining moment when it was required of them to I don't want to use a military term or a term of violence here, but a time to pull the bow and shoot the arrow. Something inside their heart melted in that defining moment. They froze. Now we've all frozen. I was telling a story earlier. I, I married into a family that's very well known. The Wilkerson family, uh, then the Eastman family. You may not have any context here, but uh, Karen's cousins is, was Rich Wilkerson, Dick Eastman. I was dating Karen. I was, I was engaged. I was going to marry uh, uh, Karen. So I got to be in the family events. And so one time I'm standing there with Rich Wilkerson and Dick Eastman. These guys are authors. They travel the world. I'm 19 years old. They're in their 40s and just changing the whole planet and Dick Eastman, just in casual conversation to Rich Wilkerson, their family, they weren't boasting. She's saying, yeah, the, the, my book, you know, No Easy Road or The Hour That Changed the World, they just printed the second million copies. You know, it's now over two million worldwide. And I just, you know, spoke for Dr. Cho last Sunday. I'm, I'm still in college. And I'm, they're allowing me to stand in this little conversation like this with some cake and, and punch. And it's just the three of us talking. Rich is talking about, yeah, I just preached for Tommy Barnett and my new book, Hold Me While They Let You Go. They just... Uh, did 200,000 of these books and speaking to a trillion people next week. You know, I'm speaking to four trillion after that. And that's great, great, great. So they felt obligated because I was going to marry into the family to include me. So they turned to me and said, well, Scott, what do you think about that? 
God is my witness. I went, um, well, you know, I've been kind of thinking about stuff. And as I kind of look at it and weigh it in my heart and pray through, as I think about it, I've kind of kind of come to this conclusion as I've kind of gone through it and thought about it. I have really kind of settled on the, the concept um, and the idea that I've settled on as I've kind of gone through all of this. They're looking at me. True story and is that at the end of um, the day, kind of as I see it, as I feel it, as I sense it, uh, I really have landed on the conclusion that um, uh, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> and I thought... You idiot, that's the best, that's true, but that's all you can come with. I froze. I had a little glimpse of that yesterday. I got a chance to spend five hours with probably the most brilliant Christian thinker in the world in another part of the country just talking about some relationships that could be very dynamic for NCU. And this person is, the New York Times said he is the most brilliant Christian thinker in the world. And I'm alone for five hours with this person. And there was a few times that he asked me a question, and I'm talking, making small talk, and I was drawn back to, well, I just think Jesus is Lord. We've all frozen under pressure. It's one thing to freeze because you can't find the words to say. But the Bible is saying there's another kind of freeze. It's when we we become paralyzed with fear in the face of the battle that we've been called, equipped, and dreamed over and about our whole life to engage in. The Bible says that Ephraim, though equipped with bows and arrows, in the day of battle, they turn back. So something has to happen in your educational experience, your north-central experience, Something has to happen in your heart, not just your mind. We have highly trained, equipped people in higher ed who become potential experts in their field. But in the day of battle, and whatever battle the Lord chooses for your life, whatever that may look like, all the learning is going to come down to simple acts of bravery and courage in your life. You can have all the equipping and all the equipment. But if your heart melts, if your heart melts, once you're the only Christian in the room, then all the equipping and the equipment is worthless. We cannot graduate students who turn back in the day of battle. I can't. I never saw this world coming. <clears throat> I never saw any of this coming our way. So here, I'm turning 60 next year. It's crazy. You're going to hear me say that a lot. That's my coping mechanism. <clears throat> Let's all stand, by the way. Turning 6-0, halfway to 120, <laughs> which is the post-flood threshold. I'm claiming that. (coughs) Sorry for coughing. 
But I have found myself in battles now that I haven't felt the option <coughs> of fear the way I have ever felt in my whole life. To turn back in the battle. To turn back. The reason we worship the way we do at this school, the reason we turn our hearts upward in song is that we would connect powerfully with the presence of God, the invitation of the Holy Spirit to inhabit us so that all the equipping in the equipment is not lost in the day of battle because something has to happen in the heart, not the mind. The heart, not the mind on the battlefield. It's about the heart, not simply the mind. The power of the Holy Spirit. Now, scholars debate on why Ephraim turned around that he'd become comfortable and settled in the land of promise and one of the neighboring tribes, which are his blood relatives, was in need. And they did not come to the rescue because the assignment, for whatever reason, was larger than whatever mood Ephraim was carrying as a people group. And something about the moment was larger to them than it needed to be. Something in the heart had dried up. Something in the heart had drifted. I think about it all the time. Am I ready to be the only Christian in the room? Am I ready to pull the bow, fire the arrow in the battle that God has for me in my life? We're going to open up the heavens. The heavens are going to open up for us. We're going to start to praise him on this Friday over the next 15 to 18 minutes, Pastor Josh Edmond, our campus pastor, our VP of spiritual life, and our leaders here are going to take us into a time of prayer. But I just want to pray for you, pray for me, that my heart would not fail me in the moment of battle. So Jesus, we pray today that in the the significant battlefields of my life, God. Lord, not just freezing because I'm nervous in front of people, but I'm talking about the significant assignments of my life, God, that you have brought me to North Central <coughs> to equip me and empower me, Holy Spirit, that I would not become like wax in my heart. I wouldn't melt with fear, God. Father, we lean in. <coughs> Power, love, and sound mind, God. Give our school, give this house, give our faculty, our leaders, Lord. <coughs> Heaven in their soul today, God. We worship you, we praise you, we honor you. These altars are open. Come on down, let's worship God, and let's get our hearts full of courage and power and faith today, NCU. God bless.